seated, we had the privilege and blessing of being able to pay for 119 different orders through our Dollar Day lunch blessing in the month of May. Through your, yes, amen. Give the Father a hand. Yes. Through your generosity, we were able to bless well over 119 people through that Dollar Day lunch blessing because many of those 119 orders were for multiple people and that number also does not include all of the employees who had the joy and privilege of being able to share the good news with those customers that their order had been paid in full. So we know that Proverbs 11.25, Solomon told us, a generous person will be enriched and one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Jesus has told us it's better to give than to receive. Amen? We know it's better to give than to receive. Therefore, we know we are never more like God than when we are giving generously. Uh, as Jesus told us, for God still of the world that he, his one and only son. And so we know God is the ultimate giver. He's the greatest giver of all time. And therefore, we know as followers of Jesus Christ, giving is living and living is giving for you and me. Thank you for giving generously to God through our church. And we continue to pray that God will use all of our tithes and offerings, all of our gifts to further uh, his kingdom, both here and literally to the nations. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we continue in our study of this fantastic letter Paul wrote to the believers in Thessalonica. We get a behind-the-scenes look here in chapter 3 of why Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Thessalonica. Summering, some, a quick summarizing uh, statement on this reason. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were concerned about the believers in the church in Thessalonica because of the persecution and opposition they were facing for their faith in Christ Jesus. And when Paul, Silas, and Timothy could no longer stand, not knowing how these were believers were doing back in Thessalonica since they had been separated for them, they sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage the believers in their faith and trust in Christ Jesus and to check on the believers to make sure that Satan had not tempted any of the believers in Thessalonica to turn away from God, their faith in God, due to the afflictions and trials and tests of faith that they were facing for their faith in God. And in verse 6 of chapter 3, Paul wrote these words, For now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news. What kind of news? Good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. Timothy finished his ministry in Thessalonica and God led Timothy to return and meet back up with Paul and Silas in Corinth, which is exactly what happened where Timothy shared his report of good news with Paul and Silas there in the town of Corinth. 
Timothy shared with Paul and Silas, among other things, how these believers were standing firm in their faith in God. They were sharing the love they had for God with one another and all those they placed around, that God placed around them. They had fond memories, good memories of Paul, Silas, and Timothy in their time together. And they really longed to see these guys again, just as Paul, Silas, and Timothy longed to be reunited with them. Paul was elated and relieved by the report from Timothy about the believers in Thessalonica. Paul, after his discussions and after certainly prayer, and after hearing all about the believers in Thessalonica, Paul, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote 1 Thessalonians to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. And among many things, Paul shared with them that he, Silas, and Timothy were encouraged to continue standing firm. They were encouraged to endure in their faith in God in the midst of their trials and afflictions because of the report about how the believers in Thessalonica were standing firm and enduring in their faith in God and their trials and afflictions. Paul summarized it by saying, for now we live, if you stand firm in the Lord, obviously Paul knew they were standing firm in the Lord. Trials are a reality of life for us as followers of Jesus. Trials and tests of faith are reality for us today as followers of Jesus, just as they were reality for these believers years and years ago. Paul emphasized this point in each of the first three chapters in 1 Thessalonians to these believers, and God now re-emphasizing these points to us because we need to understand this reality. We need to be reminded of this reality. We need to be encouraged by this reality. We must be careful not to lose sight of this reality. Paul called trials, among other things, severe persecutions, outrageous treatment, hardships, hostilities, sufferings, distress, and afflictions. That's a pretty good span of descriptions in regards to this reality of trials for us as followers of Jesus Christ. To the point, Paul was simply saying that faith in Jesus doesn't exempt us from trials. Actually, faith in Jesus invites us into trials. And so these believers needed to realize this. We do as well today. So real quick, five truths about trials that we have seen in this passage that we see here as we're studying that will encourage us and hopefully inspire us today to continue moving forward by faith. Because the truth of the matter is, there's probably a great majority of us who are in the midst of a trial even now in our walk with God and our faith in God. And so we need this information. And if we happen to be in one of those resting times and we're not specifically in a time of trial in our walk with God here this morning, then I can assure you that God's going to bring someone your way this week who is in a trial, a test of faith. And God wants you to dispense this truth to them uh, this week. And so these truths are important for each of us this morning. Number one, uh, trials have a purpose. Trials are not random acts of unkindness by God because he's bored and he doesn't like us and he wants to mess with us. 
Trials are used by God in our lives as followers of Jesus. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul told these believers, For you yourselves know we were appointed to this. For you yourselves know means we know, we understand, we perceive, we realize as followers of Jesus Christ that we were appointed. Appointed means designed. It means divinely destined. So we know today as we sit here together studying the word of God that we understand, we realize, we know that we have been divinely designed, destined, and appointed to this, this meaning trials, tests of faith, times of suffering for our faith in Jesus. We know this. This is not something that should surprise us as followers of Jesus. I love what Paul said to the believers in Philippi, another Macedonian church. He said in Philippians 1 and verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Now, when we read this verse, we're going to say not only to believe in him, yes! Thank you. <laughs> but also to suffer for him. Oh. The faithful response is yes. As our sister shared, that's the response. The yes is as good in the believing in him and the yes is as good in the suffering for him. Now, what's interesting is you look at that word granted. Granted, verse 29, means it has been graciously given to us or it has been freely given to us as a gift. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Trials are a gift of grace from God to us. Trials are a gift of grace from God to us. Trials have a purpose. Second truth we see is trials help us grow in our faith in Jesus. Trials help us grow in our faith in Jesus. Spiritual growth happens as we focus in on God, as we walk by faith in God through our trials. Spiritual growth happens as we trust God through our trials. This is one of the reasons why Satan tries so hard to turn us away from God in our trials. Trials and tests of faith remind us that life is too much for us. Trials and tests of faith remind us that God is more than enough for us. Trials and tests of faith remind us that God is with us. Trials and tests of faith remind us that God is at work in us. As James said, we're to consider it all joy, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, various kinds of trials, because you know the testing of your faith develops endurance, and endurance must do its complete work since you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Since we know God's work in us is best for us, we can then trust God in our trials, and we can wait with God through our trials. We can wait with God as he works in us through our trials. The third truth we see is trials reveal the sincerity of our faith in Jesus. They not only help us grow in our faith in Jesus, they reveal the sincerity of our faith in Jesus. The believers in Thessalonica showed the sincerity of their faith in Jesus by the way in which they 
trusted in Jesus in and through their trials, afflictions, and times of testing. Paul actually told them earlier, he said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus and of God's churches that are in Judea in suffering well for Jesus. And so we too today show the sincerity of our faith in God. We show the sincerity of our trust in our Father through our response of faith in Jesus in and through our trials, afflictions, times of suffering, and tests of faith for Jesus. The fourth truth that we've seen here is our faith in God in trials helps others. Our faith in God in trials helps others. Our example of endurance in trials inspires others to endure. Our example of obedience in trials inspires others to obey. Our example of trusting in God in trials inspires others to trust God. That's what Paul told these believers in Thessalonica in chapter 1. He said, you became a model, an example for all the believers to follow, not only in Macedonia, but in Ahia and beyond, which included Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's why Paul wrote here in chapter 3, he said, in all our distress and afflictions, Paul was actually saying, in the distress that Timothy and Silas and I experienced because of our faith in Jesus, in all our distress and afflictions, we are encouraged about you by your faith. We're encouraged by you through, through your example of faith. And so we're reminded once again here this morning of this reality that we all know and understand what God is doing in you, what God is teaching you right now, how God is working in you right now, how God is growing you right now is obviously for you, but it's also for those who God places around you, specifically for your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Why? Because when it comes to trials and in every area of our lives, but specifically in trials and times of testing, of our faith in Christ Jesus in those times of, of suffering, those times of difficulty, we are able to be an encouragement and an inspiration to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we endure in our faith and trials, and that helps them to then follow and endure in their faith in God in and through their trials. So we know our, our faith in God makes a difference, not just to us, but those around us, specifically starting with those closest to us, and then expanding out beyond. And then the fifth truth we see and we've seen here and we'll continue to see through this study is trials allow us to glorify God. We go and grow through trials in God's power and wisdom, not ours. So our faithfulness to God in trials points people to God, not us. Our faithfulness to God in trials points people to God's power, not ours. Our faithfulness to God in trials points people to God's wisdom, not ours. Our faithfulness to God in trials allows us to bring glory to God. You see, our aim each day is to bring honor and glory to God. As Paul said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Your aim and my aim each day as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is to bring honor and glory to God. That means our aim each day is to please God with our lives and to point others to God through our lives. Bringing honor and glory to him. And so in the midst of trials, as we walk faithfully in and through those trials, we are pleasing God as we walk in obedience to the truth of his word because we understand and realize that God is maturing and completing us through the trial that we're in. And we're also being able to glorify God as we're pointing others around us to God because through our endurance, 
in faith in and through our trials, we are letting everyone know it's not us, it's not our faith, it's not our wisdom, it's not our power, it's God's. It's his. And so we see Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the believers in Thessalonica understood, embraced, and applied these truths about trials in their lives. And God wants us to follow their example today in our times of trial and affliction and, and suffering uh, for our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And so we continue now moving on uh, in this chapter as we make our way to the end of chapter 3. And Paul continues with this in mind. And he writes in verse 9, How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Once again here we see Paul bursting forth with thanksgiving for the believers in Thessalonica. Paul says, how can we thank God for you? This is the third expression of thankfulness to God for the believers in Thessalonica. If you remember chapter 1, verse 2 was the first expression of thankfulness. Now, chapter 2, verse 13 was the second expression of thankfulness. And now here in chapter 3, we find the third expression of thankfulness to God for the believers in Thessalonica. We understand, obviously, and realize uh, as we know more and more about Paul, as we continue to study uh, the Word of God and the writings that God inspired Paul to write, that Thankfulness to God, an attitude of gratitude, was a constant quality in Paul's life. And therefore, thankfulness to God should be a constant quality in our lives today as well as followers of Jesus Christ. We have much to be thankful to God for uh, in our lives. And so here we find in verse 9 a rhetorical question from Paul. Paul is saying we can't possibly thank God enough for the believers in Thessalonica in return for all the joy we experience from God because of the believers in Thessalonica. There's no way we can thank God enough for all the joy that we receive from God in regards to these believers in Thessalonica. This joy that Paul, Silas, and Timothy received from God because of the believers in Thessalonica included their love for one another, their encouragement to one another. It certainly included the recent good news from Timothy that these believers were in fact standing strong in their faith in God. They in fact were not turning away from God uh, because of their afflictions and trials. They truly had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They were continuing to be an example for the believers in Thessalonica, in Macedonia, and Ahia, and beyond. And so we see they were excited about what God was doing with these believers in Thessalonica. They were joyful. And that joy was from God because of how God was at work in the believers in Thessalonica and in their lives, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and how that work was connected uh, to one another. Paul, Silas, and Timothy with these believers. So let's look closer at this prayer uh, from Paul, Silas, and Timothy uh, in regards to God and in regards to the uh, believers there in Thessalonica. Let's look closer at this prayer. Number one, we see the who. The who is God. Notice that Paul said, how can we thank God? The focus of the prayer and thankfulness was on God. God empowered the believers in Thessalonica to stand firm in their faith in him and to show their love for him to those God placed around them. 
God led Paul, Silas, and Timothy to plant the church in Thessalonica. God was responsible for the loving relationship that Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the believers in Thessalonica shared with one another. God protected Timothy, Paul, Silas, as well. God protected Timothy, and God brought Timothy back to Paul and Silas so that Timothy could share with Paul and Silas the good news about the believers in Thessalonica. And so we see their prayers uh, focused on God. Their prayers to God focus their minds on God. God is sovereign. God is in control of your life and my life. He is our loving, sovereign Father. And these believers, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they recognized that God was the one who was at work. And so when it came to thankfulness, when it came to this joy that they were experiencing from God about the believers in Thessalonica, they made sure that they got it right. They thanked God... They gave God the thanks, the praise, the honor, and the glory for the work that he was doing in the believers in Thessalonica, which was filling them with joy. And so we see how important this is for us as we also are to give thanks to God for all that he is doing in our lives. We're able to give him thanks and honor and glory and praise. So we see this here clearly. They gave thanks to God. He said the second uh, is the why and it's joy. The second is the why and it's joy. He said, but he said there in verse 9, for how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? Their joy from God caused them to give thanks to God. As Paul, Silas, and Timothy thought about the believers in Thessalonica, as God brought the believers in Thessalonica to their minds on a day-by-day basis, as they thought about the believers' faith and love and witness for God, They were filled with joy, and that joy began to work in their lives, and it overflowed with thankfulness to God. It just overflowed with thankfulness to God. As we today think about God's work in our lives, take just a moment and think about God's work in your life. As we think about God's work in our lives, as we think about God's work in our church, as we think about God's work in one another's lives, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we are filled with joy. We're filled with joy from God because of his work in us, around us, and through us. Our joy from God should cause us to give thanks to God. Our joy from God should burst forth in our lives in thanks to God for all that he is doing in us, through us, and around us. And so we see this here in this passage, and I hope you see this in your own lives. I hope you see this in your relationships. I hope you see this within what God is doing here in our church family. Because his work is evident 
all around us. His work is evident in your life. His work is evident in my life. His work is evident all around us. And so that joy that we should be filling up with because of God and because of his work and what he's doing by his grace, it should then produce in us a desire to give thanks to God. Just as we see here that the the believers uh, were experiencing that Paul, Silas, Timothy were saying, man, we are giving thanks to God. So we see the who, the how, the why, now the how. The how is very earnestly. Very earnestly. How did they give thanks? They did it very earnestly. It says in verse 9, How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experienced before our God because of you? As we pray very earnestly. Very earnestly. How do they pray? They prayed very earnestly. Very earnestly means intensely, fervently. It means super abundantly. And so the sense here. Make sure you get the sense here. The sense here is not Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed very earnestly because they wanted to make sure that God heard their prayer and didn't miss it. The sense here is this is not a normal prayer. Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed earnestly, intensely, fervently, super abundantly because of the joy they felt in their lives, because of God's work in the believers in Thessalonica, And we know and understand the earnestness of their prayer, the intensity of their prayer was certainly increased by the report of good news from Timothy about the believers in Thessalonica. And so the good news was intensifying their earnest prayers to God for these believers. And so we see they were praying very earnestly. And then the when, the final point we see here, the when is often. He said in verse 10, as we pray very earnestly, night and day. And so we see pray here is in the present tense. So they were praying all the time. The point that Paul's making is we're praying all the time. And he described it as they were praying night and day. Night and day does not mean they were praying every second of every minute of every hour throughout the night and throughout the day. Night and day does not mean they prayed once in the night and once in the day and that sufficed. Night and day just simply means they were praying often. They were praying all the time. Whenever God brought these believers in Thessalonica to Paul, Silas, and Timothy's mind, they would stop and they would pray. Whether it was in the day or in the night, it didn't matter. They would stop and pray. If they were asleep at night and God woke them up and brought the believers to their minds, they would, at whatever point in time, stop and pray for those believers in Thessalonica. And we see this as well in our lives. I know I do. I'm sure you do as well. There will be times when you're going about your daily lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We're doing what God's called us to do, maybe in our workplace, at the home, whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, someone's name just comes to your mind. Someone's face comes to your mind. Are you tracking with me? You with me? All right. All right. Just making sure. I don't know what's going on this morning. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm trying to figure it out. All right. When that happens, understand and realize That's our loving God. Bringing that individual to mind. Man, that's a great time for us to just pray. Just stop and pray for that person, for the situation, if we know what that situation may be regarding that person. If not, if it's just for that person, just pray for that person. The God would continue his work in their lives and then continue moving on 
with what God's called us to do throughout our lives. God does this all throughout the day, all throughout the night. He'll bring folks to our mind. He'll bring one another to our mind. It's a great reminder, a great opportunity for us to pray. That's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy were communicating with these believers. They're saying, man, we're praying very earnestly. We're praying intensely, fervently for y'all. Night and day, whenever God brings you to our minds, but we're just know we're praying for you. We're praying. And so we now get to see the what, the what in this prayer. Thankfully, Paul continues and shares with us the what. And we see five points that they were praying here uh, as we finish chapter three. Number one, they shared their desire to see the believers again. Look in verse 10. As we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face. There it is again. We've said this before. Paul shared this before in previous chapter. Face to face. They long to be with him face to face. That suggests intimacy. That suggests love. That suggests intensity to be with them. That suggests encouragement, relationship. He said he longed to see them. So one of the things that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were praying very earnestly night and day was to see the believers in Thessalonica again face to face. They were motivated to see these believers by their love for these believers. They were motivated to see these believers because they had been separated from these believers and they missed them. They were motivated to see these believers again because of Timothy's good news that these believers were standing firm in their faith in God in the midst of their trials and afflictions and challenging times. And so as you can well imagine, the same is true for you, I'm sure, as it is for me. Man, there's a desire in us when we love those that God has placed in our lives and we're separated from them if we know someone that we love and we're brother sister in Christ and we're separated from them and we hear that they are going through a challenging time we hear that they were going through a test of their faith when we hear they may be even going through a time of suffering and we think about them man and we pray for them a common prayer for us is God would you please help me to be able to see them again why? Because we have this desire. We want to see them. Why? Because we want to wrap our arms around them. We want to love them. We want to encourage them. We want to challenge them. And when we hear they are remaining faithful in their trials, when we hear they are continuing to show the love of God to others, that increases our desire even more to get there and to help fire them up and to help encourage them to stand firm in their faith in Jesus. And so we see Paul was praying. And one of these believers know, man, we really want to see you. Again, so we're praying to the Father that we might be able to see you again. But not just that. Secondly, they share their desire to keep teaching the believers. He said in verse 10, And we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith. To complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul, Silas, Timothy wanted to see the believers again because they wanted to keep teaching the believers. Remember, the believers in Thessalonica were young in their faith in God. Remember, as we've shared the background throughout these first three chapters, Paul, Silas, and Timothy planted the church there in Thessalonica. It was a strong church. It was a growing church, but it was a very young church because they planted the church in Thessalonica, and then they were separated from the believers in the church in Thessalonica after less than a month with them. These believers were strand, standing strong in their faith in God, yes, but they still had much to learn about God. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks, Paul's focus on holiness, on the second coming of Jesus, and on living the Christian life in chapters 4 and 5. And we're going to dive in 
to these topics and others in chapters 4 and 5. But Paul's focus in chapters 4 and 5 on these topics indicate that these were areas, these were truths that the believers in Thessalonica needed teaching and instruction on so that they could continue growing in their faith in Christ Jesus. We're going to see a a significant shift next Sunday, Lord willing, in this letter. And so understand and realize, and we'll talk about this briefly next week, this ending to chapter 3 is vitally important because it has everything to do with the beginning of chapter 4 and beyond. And so we understand and realize that Paul wanted to get back to Thessalonica so that he could continue what he started, that being teaching them God's truth. Why? Because he loved these believers and he wanted God's best for these believers. And he knew that they were standing firm. He knew they were doing well. But he also knew they were very young in their faith. And they needed more instruction, more guidance, more teaching, more encouragement. And he was asking the Father to allow them to see them again face to face so that he could continue teaching them. A third thing he prayed is Paul prayed that God would direct them to the believers. This makes sense. He prayed that he would direct them to the believers. Look in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May he direct our way to you. So we, we see here that Paul uses the pronoun our. Paul said, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul used the pronoun our, which referred to their relationship with God and one another by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. Paul also shared real quickly, we'll summarize this, our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Uh, highlighted the biblical truth of the Trinity. We believe in one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 10 said, I and the Father are one. And so we see this theme underlying this passage. So we know as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of being able to call God our God. I have the privilege of being able to call God my God, just as you do as well. We can pray along with David the psalmist who said in Psalm 31 verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. And so we have this blessing as followers of Jesus. And so Paul here is asking God to direct our way to you. Direct means guide. It means lead. Direct literally means make the pathway straight. It means remove the obstacles in our way to getting to Thessalonica. Remove the hindrances. Make the pathway clear so that we can be guided, so that we can be led. Remove all the hindrances in our way so that we can get back to Thessalonica. The main hindrance, as we know at the end of chapter 2, being that of Satan himself. As Paul said, we wanted to come back. I, Paul said, longed to come back and see you, but Satan hindered us. And so it makes sense that Paul would pray, God, direct our way to the believers in Thessalonica because he wanted to see them face to face and he wanted to continue teaching them God's truth. And so we know, based on our understanding of the book of Acts, that God most likely answered this prayer of Paul 
during Paul's third missionary journey a couple years later as Paul, Luke told us, was traveling back through Macedonia, encouraging the believers in the churches in Macedonia. The churches in Macedonia included Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. And on that third missionary journey, Luke also reminded us that Paul had a couple of men with him on his missionary team from the church in Thessalonica, Aristos and Secundas, and they were from Thessalonica. And so we know that there was uh, great uh, probability the scriptures will lead us, uh, and we can see clearly and understand that uh, this prayer was answered later on the third missionary journey. What is significant and what I want us to see uh, as we continue moving on, but before we do, is notice and understand that Paul, Silas, and Timothy did not want to move unless it was opened up by God. Notice that Paul, Silas, Timothy just didn't say, you know what, we want to see these guys, so let's go. Man, we really want to see them. We want to go minister to them. We want to go love them. We want to go teach them. Great desires to go and see them, to minister to them, to encourage them, to instruct them, to teach them, to continue imparting God's truth to them. Great desires. And yet Paul, Silas, and Timothy were clear that they moved when God told them to move. They stayed when God told them to stay. They were in the center of God's will and they did not want to do anything that would take them out of the center of God's will. And I can assure you today, you know this as well as I do, as followers of Jesus Christ, the best place in life to be is in the center of God's will. No matter what else is going on, no matter what else we're going through, no matter what else is happening, the best place to be is in the center of God's will. Sometimes that means it's going to be a fight. Sometimes that means it's a trial. Sometimes that means God is stretching our face, our faith beyond what we are really enjoying at that moment. But we know it's best because that's exactly where God has us. Paul, Silas, Timothy learned as they were making their missionary journeys, as they would go to certain places, Paul and Silas and Timothy would be uh, led by the Holy Spirit to go into places. But Luke also told us that the Holy Spirit would keep them from going into certain places. And so they learned early on the best place to be is right where God wants us to be. And so they longed to go back to Thessalonica, but they didn't want to leave Corinth a day early, an hour early, a minute early. They didn't want to go anywhere where God was not leading them to go. And so that's a great reminder to us today as we seek the Father on a day-by-day basis to make sure that we're asking God, God, would you direct my way today? Father God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you as you direct my way and allow me to minister to all those you place around me. God, I don't want to get out of the center of your will for one second of my day. Paul also prayed, the fourth prayer was Paul prayed for the believers to overflow in love. He prayed for the believers' love to overflow. Look at what he says in verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. Paul knew these believers were filled with God's agape love because Paul knew they were his brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. In chapter 1, Paul talked about their labor motivated by love. We know in chapter 3, Timothy gave them the good news about the report of the believers in Thessalonica's faith and love. And so Paul understood, he knew, he realized that these believers understood God's agape love. They were 
brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So what Paul did was Paul prayed and asked God to increase and overflow the believers in Thessalonica's love for one another and for all those God placed around them, just as Paul, Silas, and Timothy's love for them overflowed to them. And so we know and understand this agape love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit that God produces in us by His Holy Spirit in us as we follow God by faith day by day. And so we understand and realize Paul understood this truth. And so what a great prayer for Paul to pray for this church. What a great prayer for Paul to pray for each of these believers in this church. That God, would you cause the believers in Thessalonica to increase and overflow with love for one another and for all those you place around them. What a great prayer for our church today. What a great prayer for each one of us. Each one of us should pray, Almighty God, would you cause me God, this day, would you cause me to increase and overflow with love for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for love for my family, with love for all those you place around me. God, would you cause me to increase and overflow because, Father God, I cannot increase and I cannot overflow love in and of myself. See, our love well will run dry. Our love tank will get empty quick. And the truth is there are many in here who quite possibly, the Father speaking to you right now, and the truth is simply this, whether you will receive it and whether you will respond to it is between you and the Father, but the truth of the matter is this, your love tank is on E. There's not love coming out of you for those that God has placed around you because God's love is not filling up in you. It's the only way we're going to be able to honor God in our relationships is by trusting in Him and crying out to Him and focusing on Him, not on our relationships, focusing on Him. God, increase and overflow my love your love in and through me to those you place around me to my brothers and sisters in Christ this is so vitally important for us not just for one another but for all those God places around us why because love is how we demonstrate to everyone that we are disciples of Jesus love it's how we demonstrate that we're disciples of Jesus Love means we accept everyone. Does love mean we agree with everyone? No, that's not what love means. That's not what the scriptures teach. 
Love is based and built upon the truth of God and his word. Love means we accept everyone that God places around us because they've been created by God and the Savior Jesus died for them on the cross just as he died for us on the cross. They need Jesus just like we need Jesus. But especially in our world today, we need to pray. God, would you increase and overflow your love and through my life to those you place around me. And then he shares in verse 13, Paul prayed for the believers to live holy lives and this travels together, love and holiness. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. God causes our love to increase and overflow. God makes us blameless in holiness by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is praying here is in an impure and immoral world, Paul prayed that God would help these believers in Thessalonica to live loving and pure, holy lives as they waited and watched for the return of Jesus Christ. What a prayer for us today. In the midst of our impure, immoral, unholy world around us, in this culture that desperately needs Jesus, what a prayer for us today. God, would you increase and overflow my love to my brothers and sisters in Christ and all those you place around me. And Father God, would you help me to live a holy and pure life? A life that is blameless and holiness. That means a life that if others cast accusations, sinful accusations, evil accusations against me, that, Father God, the testimony of my life would render those accusations untrue, blameless, not guilty. What a prayer. We see this throughout the scriptures. John said, if you claim to live in him, you must walk as Jesus walked in holiness and in truth. Peter said, be holy because the one who calls you is holy. So be holy in all that you do. Paul said, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Holiness pleases God. Love pleases God. So here's the point. The point is the difference that Christ makes in us is supposed to shine through us. It's supposed to shine through us day after day. It's not easy to live holy lives in our world today. It's not easy. That's why we must ask God to help us live holy lives. We must ask God to help us say no to sin and yes to the Savior. Love and holiness open the way for us to tell others about Jesus. Love and holiness allows others to have a desire to listen to what we have to say about Jesus. And so we realize how important this is. And there's no mistaking where we're going to go in chapters four and chapter five. I'll give you three guesses where we're going and you don't even need two of them. We're gonna start in four and five and we're gonna talk about holiness. And we're gonna talk about love. As we watch and wait for the return of our Savior Jesus. This is right where we are here today. This is vitally important for us. 
And I want you to notice that Paul thanked God before he petitioned God. He thanked God before he petitioned God. And so we see here in this passage, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they love these believers. They prayed for these believers. Prayer is a must for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So we know that as we pray for one another, we are blessed and we're able to bless one another. So let's pray this morning with one another. And let's ask God to cause us to increase and overflow with love for one another. And those God placed around us, let's ask God to help us live holy lives, pure and pleasing to him. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our words, please come.